We've been trying to pump him full of vitamin C and, and noodles all day. I didn't Smart. eat any of the macaroni and cheese except the time I walked up and would steal from it. Oh, really? Damn. Yeah, I never like made a proper plate of it. Welcome back to our podcast. Yeah, why don't we just start it out like that? Hello, everyone. <laughs> 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 Welcome back to Game of Thrones. I'm surrounded by our friend Aziz's cats. <laughs> One of whom is trying to bite your monitor. Aziz is sitting on an exercise ball. <laughs> We're recording next to his upstairs fireplace. And we have a pair of chapters today. Daenerys 5 and John 6 from our Feast of Dragons reading order. Aziz had to break out the books tonight. Oh, yeah. Aziz, I'm so excited <laughs> that you're on this episode with us because I just mostly have a lot of questions. Cool. So I apologize in advance if this is mostly me asking everybody questions about these chapters i think we can manage with that which is only fair since you guys are hanging and i'm all by myself i was gonna <laughs> say belated birthday shout out to aziz oh i am slightly older now wiser you too birthday stream on saturday <laughs> i think uh, i think i actually got less wise here in atlanta <laughs> there has been an inordinate amount of thanksgiving leftovers being eaten i think that you guys have more leftovers per capita than any group of people that I've ever seen. <laughs> As you mentioned, we are diving into Daenerys 5 and John 6, which we did or did not pair together because they are magically now in love. <laughs> but I was curious. I guess we can just dive in. We're in a very interesting spot with her. And I feel like up into this point in our reading order, we've had an opportunity to kind of see what's going on a little bit more outside of, of where she is with the wind blown and kind of understanding that storyline a little bit more and so curious your guys's overall thoughts about where Danny is right now the situation that she's in and how you feel about the decisions that she's making and just this chapter as a whole is that too broad no i think it's fine I'm, good. I'm handing it off to aziz to take the reins Cool. This one, he's got notes written on a piece of paper. I do. I have notes on a piece of paper. Like Perfect. old school, you know. Yeah. I love it. Like, but you paper. also have an iPad sitting right here. As well. Yeah, I have an iPad that is just sitting there that I didn't use at all for this. Which I don't even know why I brought it upstairs for this recording. <laughs> There's nothing about it that's useful. At the Can't moment. be too prepared. Yeah. Also, I have to warn everyone that I have the flu or something. So mm-hmm. I'm gonna keep up with Hannah and Aziz as much as I can. Tonight. I could. I could flick the screen on and get a little a little ambient light. Get the blue light therapy. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, this is a cool chapter. It's fun to look at kind of in a, at, to hone in on it compared to, you know, as a, as a slice of Danny's Miranese arc. And it really starts to, the interesting thing about this chapter is it's kind of when a lot of that culminates for her in, in terms of realizing that she doesn't know what she's doing in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. You know, that she's, that she's, her mistakes have come back to haunt her. She has that line about, Eroa and how she tried to save this girl and ended up making it worse for her. And she did the same thing with Astapor. And Astapor is ravaged by civil war uh, as well as by the Yunkai and now by disease. And it's kind of cool in some ways, even though it's really brutal, because it shows that the Game of Thrones kind of happens everywhere. It's happening in Slaver's Bay on a smaller scale than it's happening in Westeros. So for Daenerys, it's kind of like she's learning to play the Game of Thrones on this smaller scale where there's just a few cities close together and then the rest of the world that kind of influences those cities. Whereas in Westeros, it's this, you know, giant continent with a whole lot more than just three cities. And so she's kind of making these mistakes now. Hopefully that means she'll uh, learn from them when the stage is larger and when the stakes are larger. Butch is also cool because it's uh, it's it's breaking of a trope. A lot of times you have these kind of heroic young figures that kind of come along and just know how to do everything correctly. Mm-hmm. Like they make all these great decisions. Maybe they make a couple of wrong decisions early on, but by the end of the story, they're they're just doing everything perfectly. Danny's going through this nice long arc of making mistakes and learning as she goes, and it, it's going to feel a little more authentic when she gets to Westeros and doesn't just magically know how to rule properly she'll have have this background that where she learns it's like a sandbox <laughs> except that <laughs> a lot except of real, a lot of people are dying real people. <laughs> yeah 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 it's one Lots of those things of where things happening 
I definitely agree in, in the sense of this is a good opportunity for her to quote unquote make mistakes, but I always feel so uncomfortable because I know that this is also, as we've seen in this chapter, and we're starting to see, as you mentioned, Aziz, a lot of the repercussions of choices that she's made. And it is really interesting to, and, and you're touching on a lot of things that I was thinking about in this chapter, the opportunity to watch her as painful as it may be at times or as long or as slow as it might be for us as readers, especially at the pace that we're going with this read through, to see her make these mistakes and to kind of start to wiggle into her role as a ruler and to kind of figure out what that means for her, the types of sacrifices that she's willing to make and the type of person that she wants to be. And something that I thought was interesting, um, I think my favorite moments of this chapter were Barristan kind of trying to teach her a couple things and kind of trying to some good advice. give her good advice. Yeah, exactly. And kind of push her in the right direction. And he mentions for a moment after she does has this conversation about his dar in the beginning of the chapter he he says to her that her brother would have been proud of what she's done and then she thinks about how Rhaegar died doing all these kinds of things and we can get into that more specifically because i think that there's more to unpack there but the point i was trying to make is that she hasn't had anybody to really learn from or watch or grow up modeling like some other people that we've seen make a lot of mistakes like Rob or Theon, you know. So it's kind of interesting for me to think about it in that perspective as she's learning and growing with these very real world, lower stakes than maybe Westeros, but still stakes nonetheless, um, while she hasn't really had a good template to follow like maybe some other people. So lots of interesting kind of ideas as to what makes a ruler and how she stacks up kind of at play at this chapter. Yeah, she really has it's an interesting transition from the beginning of the chapter to the end at the start she's she talks to Barrison about how she'd like to see the knights joust and how that's something from her childhood that her brother told her about and so she's thinking about Viserys and she's thinking about knights and she's thinking about things that she's never actually seen mm-hmm. and by the end of the chapter she's decided that she has to marry to make have a political marriage so it's kind of like uh, like a virtual growing up within this chapter you know she's thinking about these kind of kind of unimportant things like seeing jousts you know (laughs) and her main man dario right right and she's thinking about (laughs) dario but then but then you're then you like you pointed out she's thinking about barrison says rhaegar wouldn't proud of you and she's like well is that good though rhaegar like jorah as jorah said rhaegar died and it struck me that danny has swung back too far she doesn't realize that she's got a huge advantage that she's not capitalizing on, which is that she started off being awful. Not, I don't mean awful, like dumb or bad. I mean, she started off by, uh, vicious against the slavers, right? She, she impaled right. a bunch of them on stakes. So they're afraid of her. And, but now she's backing off. She won't be brutal like that anymore. She realized she doesn't want to do that. That's not her, her style, but she did it. And the fact is if she threatens to do it again, they'll believe her, even if she's not actually willing to do it. Like we saw with Jamie, and he threatened to fling Edmure's baby in River, and he was not really willing to do that. But he knew they would believe him because of his prior reputation. Right. Mm-hmm. Danny has this reputation, and she's not capitalizing on it. She could, like when Scott has told her, "Hey, you've got you want to break this blockade? That's that's you know starving the city right now. Yeah. Well, let's go get their let's Here's go get their families. Yeah. yeah, and she burns it, and and she says, "Well, if I send people in there to take these hostages." You know, it'll be a civil war fighting. this. That's not what I want. I was like, well, don't you don't have to do that. Just threaten to do it. You know, maybe that see how that goes. You right. know, see if that works. So I think she's now she's just trying to be nice. Um, she, that's why I was saying the pendulum swung back. First, she was being brutal and, and forceful. And now she's like, well, I don't want to do that. So I'm going to be really nice. And I'm like, well, that's not going to work either. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you got to. And then she's realizing that, too, with the whole Rhaegar died thing. So she, she's not naive, but she's also what you what you're seeing is her work through this in her mind it's interesting that she's she's kind of figuring this out and she's kind of fig- realizing that uh she's coming to terms with it she's definitely not lying to herself you know she's like she's very willing to accept her mistakes and that's oh, good. definitely yeah you can really see in this chapter as you mentioned earlier about the little girl and and about all these people who are seemingly or they get reports of are going to come her way 
it really weighs on her all of these she thinks of them as her children and these are her people and she feels so guilty for i think everything that she's done whether she did the right thing you know she kind of goes through all these all these different questions and i feel like i feel like her want to do good or to treat everybody fairly or with kindness or whatever it kind of is that she's thinking is holding her back from being able to make any real decisions or being able to really have any real dialogue about what's happening. Because I think mm. that, especially in the beginning of this chapter, as you mentioned, there's a couple of different options about what to do about the blockade are presented to her. And throughout this entire chapter, I feel like it's mostly just conversations about what she should and shouldn't be doing and different options with her dragons and with the peoples that are coming. And she kind of dismisses everything outright. Yeah. By the end, she compromises with the mm-hmm. marriage, I think, which is kind of like the perfect result because like I said, she was too far to either end and the compromise is kind of where she needs to be. She needs to be willing to be brutal, but not just jump straight to it, you know, right. not be too soft either. So I think this, she's kind of taking the middle ground, which sometimes the middle ground is worse. Sometimes you do need to be extreme, but in this case, she's not willing to be extreme. So she's, this is the next best thing. <laughs> and maybe being extreme won't work anyway. So another reason why it's probably the, probably the best idea. It's also difficult for her to make and like the best decision because she's put off so many things for so long. Now that we get to the end of the chapter and, and Galaza Galore and everyone's coming in, they're like, Hey, we've got to talk about what's happening right now. <laughs> the shit has hit the fan and we have to act. So now we have to act. And so part of that acting is his dar, who's only visited 11 pyramids at this point. He's right now your best bet. So it's like, okay, well, I guess I need his dar because this is the situation I've kind of let myself get into. It's so it's like the same thing with Astapor when the weaver was like, we believed that you would come. And and there's a lot of feelings that she's going through. And it's a, it's a horrible story. Mm-hmm. You know, we were talking about how how things are much worse in Westeros. But, like, we get some true context about what's happening in Slaver's Bay when we get... I mean, we've had it in a couple chapters leading up to this. But getting a firsthand account from the bricklayer and from the weaver and from the cobbler being from within the city. Um, yeah. It definitely gives you more of a personal uh, account. But with all this happening... What were we talking about? <laughs> I about the brick later, like the, them getting away. Well, I, I guess you're kind of talking about her, Danny's escalating um, or constant stream of having to choose the lesser of two evils because mm. there's never a clearly good choice. It's always like, well, do I have 5,000 people die or 10,000 people die? Right. Well, I guess 5,000 people is awful, but it's better than 10,000 people. And she just constantly has decisions like that. And it's really terrible, but she handles it pretty well. It's not like it, crushes her because the weight of the stress um you know i guess she, she's up for it as far as like handling the decisions as a as a leader but yeah she had she made a lot of mistakes and is you know having to deal with those consequences but as barrison points out some of those weren't mistakes some of those were just you chose the lesser of two evils and this right. is that lesser of two evils playing out you couldn't have done better than this you know if you'd made the other choice as awful as what's happening is happening now, it would have been worse if you had made the other choice. So, do you that's something guys she's believe also that that's realize. true? I'm not sure. I think that the whole, like the whole her idea of leaving behind the council of the three at at Astapor seemed like a pretty terrible idea. Like that was never going to work. That was too idealistic, right? Especially for for a place like that that it had been ruled by slavery for five like five thousand plus years or more. Yeah, like they're not going to be able. It's just that's it's not just, that simple. That's something for later. Yeah. yeah, that's like an idealistic solution for after, like for a few generations later, maybe you need like a transitional period or something like that. But Danny's just not equipped to do that. And no one else is either. It's like Barristan doesn't know how to do that. And right. neither, does, neither does any local like none of they've all lived under the system. They're more, you know, used to the system than Danny is because she's an outsider, even though she's young and doesn't really know what doesn't really have a sense of governments around the world. These other people have been part of it and for their whole life. It's even they're even. <laughs> you know, they're even more part of the matrix than she is in this regard. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. Those paragraphs when they're detailing what is happening within Astapor and everything. I mean, I don't I mean, we can't go into detail, but I just feel mm-hmm. like everything that we learn about the butchery that is happening there as people are dying and they're getting sick and then the city is burning and they're committing suicide and they're just basically all hell has broken loose within the city there um and then to have this constant 
I thought it was a really interesting way to tell this story as throughout all of this hardship and horror that's happening, every couple sentences it was, but we thought that you were going to come and we thought that the dragon queen was going to save us. And we thought that, you know, we're going to be freed from everything that's kind of happening. And so just that guilt that you can just see, I think, pressing deeper onto her. I think that we're kind of talking about how at the end of this chapter, she makes that decision to uh, marry his dar because that's what she needs to do for her people. And maybe that's not what she wants to do, but it's best politically and for her thinking out of, outside of herself. I feel like having that, she would not have been able to come to that decision if she hadn't had heard these stories or had that conversation and to kind of push that guilt onto her whether it was meant to be a guilt trip or not i think that that definitely like put things into perspective for her a little bit um it helps kind of like usher along a decision yeah some kind of decision and she knows too from what the green gray said in in a prior chapter that peace is just or maybe it's a later chapter doesn't matter i think it's a prior chapter but at some point the green grace the Miranese Green Grace, Galaza Glory, not the Green Grace and Astapor who is impaled. On a spike <laughs> on in a the spike. Plaza n- n- Nice, uh, <laughs> nice way to go there. But, um, which hardly registers compared to the, the other things in this chapter. It's like, yeah, that's just one of the people who many drink awful the poison wine that because are, they decided yeah. they didn't want to wake up the next day. Yeah, and then all just the disease. Or the people that would pull stones or lots or whatever to eat each other. Or to eat each other, oh, yeah. Geez. It's it, it's a little bit reminiscent of what's going on, like the bread riots in, Cl- in Clash of Kings, but this is a lot worse. Right. Um, and But it might be what we, we may see something like this, I think, in the later books when there's just massive deprivation because of winter imagine? or the long night. I think we this is, this might, this might still be kind of mild compared to what's to come. Mm. But the, um, uh, shoot, what was I going to say? I don't know. Well, I'm just thinking about how, how much would it take for Westeros to turn that desperate? You know what I mean? Honestly, yeah. you get enough of the Golden Company, depending on what they're doing or. Or if there are Dothraki, or if the White Walkers do break through. Right, you have more mouths to feed just as things are getting... Mouths with legs? Is that (laughs) from this chapter? Jeez. (laughs) Oh, no, that's from the John chapter. Yeah, yeah, it's still... But still, the concept is all over. It's starting to come up. You start to... And and if if this is like a... Some sort of precursor to... Like, we're seeing the Pale Mare and how awful that is, or this is just the beginning of that, really. We don't actually see it firsthand until, like, the next chapter, I suppose. But... That whole taking it as a whole, the, the arc of the pale mare maybe is kind of like feels to me maybe like there'll be something worse, like grayscale, like a grayscale outbreak in Westeros, mm-hmm. something like that. That's just this is just a setup for something larger. Not that they're going to be directly connected, but that there's you know just like some of these other concepts around Slaver's Bay are miniature Game of Thrones playing out. You know, you got three, mm-hmm. like I said earlier, you have three cities instead of you know all of westeros and so there's a small outbreak of disease you know in these little cities well what if it's that what if it's half of westeros instead of two cities out of slavery bay you, you know? think john <laughs> con's gonna be the one to bring it over yeah yeah i, I it's hard for you know God. despite the way the show just kind of did nothing with it basically uh-huh. uh i don't buy i don't that's you know the show definitely teaches us a lot about what's coming in the books i don't think that's a, one of those times i just don't think that george is going to have the cusp of a grayscale outbreak just to not have it just to have sam heal the one guy because how, how it sam off gonna heal john connington <laughs> yeah. you know like that or anyone gonna heal john like connington's concealing it just right? get one of the boltons and i think that they could pull off the fling pretty well yeah i mean <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's right you know what I mean? that's true this is this is there they have that kind of precision cutting they've been, skills. Uh, they've been able to heal grayscale <laughs> for centuries <laughs> but like yeah, Sam. I mean, Jorah <laughs> was commanded by Danny in the show to go find a cure, and John Connington is actively hiding it. So this is, yeah. this is entirely different, <laughs> and uh, and also it's just been set up differently too. With um, Gilly freaks out about it, mm-hmm. you know, and even that they had that in the show too, and it still didn't amount to anything. So it really was it really it was one of those things that really fooled us because we were like, oh, because it was built up in the books. We don't know what's going to happen in the books, but it's been built up. And so the show started happening in the show. We're like, oh, we're going to see what happens. And then we're like, that that can't be what happens. Yeah. <laughs> one guy just gets it sliced off of him and that's the end of it. It's strange to see it go that far, you know? <laughs> yeah. And then turn it, into that. It was confusing because it really, like, really seemed like it would be some sort of significant plot. 
But it also was like, when do they have time for it? Yeah. And then, I don't uh, know if well, we can take yeah, everything that happened in season seven as a... Uh, Certainly not. What is or isn't going to be important. So I do think there'll be a grayscale outbreak. And I think this pale mare is kind of like the precursor version, you know, uh, of it. Like, sort of like some of the, the attack on the f- fist of the first men is is nothing compared to what we'll see from future attacks on the by the others. And the little engagements with dragons that we've seen are are kind of nothing compared to what we'll see later mm-hmm. dragon skirmishes everything's gonna get larger just like joffrey the villains of joffrey and viserys becoming ramsey becoming euron everything's going up you know right. all the scale of the stakes are going up on everything the diseases will get nastier the starvation and deprivation will be more severe and there'll be more cannibalism <laughs> well in order to be with it'll be concentrated with the people that we've spent all this time with and so yeah like all the the stakes will only continue to get higher so whatever mistakes danny's making here hopefully she doesn't repeat them again yeah that's what she's trying to fix though right when she's hearing these stories about astapor and she's like when when they're comparing notes about what you couldn't have helped them anyway because if you you would have left uh the sons of the harpy would have would have hurt marine from the inside as well either way it's all just kind of messy and we have to choose the lesser of all these evils like we've been saying she knows now that like well you know i kind of did that in that situation too and i sort of did something that i didn't hold personally accountable to see if it made it through and that's what she says in that chapter she was like i'm the queen that's my business to know they're like you couldn't have known but she was like you know i get that i couldn't have known but here i am i'm supposed to be the one figuring that out so even though this seems like a pretty doomed situation she's like i'm going to see it through so she uh, and, and at some point in the chapter when she's talking to uh the shave paint she calls her forces in and she's talking to barrison as well she calls her forces in the storm crows the the second sons her, it, her blood riders her blood yeah, riders everybody. yeah and they're not going to let the Astapori in the city. What did, what did you guys think about that, about letting them camp outside the walls? It seems okay. I mean, she doesn't really have a better choice. Right. You know, it's not, because uh, that's part of what we hear is that the the enemy sellsword companies are sort of hurting the plague victims. You know, at, that's crazy. At when spear you think point, about it. they kind of drive them towards Marine to sort of make it harder on Danny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, Hannah, how interesting is that just with the chapters that we've been reading? Like with Tyrion 7 we had last week with Emmett before this, with the conversations about Daenerys and the fact that we went through this entire chapter without without her, you know, seizing one virgin for their blood to bathe in at all. I know. (laughs) I know. It is really interesting because we spent so much time and so much time hearing other people's rumors about her and how she's supposed to be this like ruthless, heartless otherworldly person and now here we are in her head and there's this line here when, when they're talking about what they're going to do with the Astapor refugees when it says Danny looked at Barristan helplessly it was good the dragons did not cry like she just like that's not she's not bathing in the blood of virgins she's like trying not to weep over this idea that people are going to be have to be camping outside of her walls and there's nothing she's able to do about it yeah so it's such a stark contrast to who we read about and who people talk about and the person that she has become essentially as as aziz as you were saying i know she has definitely kind of swung the other way in terms of how she's handling situations and so you've got people it's interesting like a high priest literally preaching her word her gospel drawing, drawing <laughs> yeah. le- letters and characters of flame in the air <laughs> and here she is in this chapter you know thinking about about dario and trying to do best by all of the people that she considers her children that's why one of the other mis- little mistakes she's making that's a little more subtle is the situation with brown ben is there's mm-hmm. multiple attempts to get her to use her dragons and she's just like no they're not ready i can't i can't really get them to do that yet it's too too early and Ben suggests that they loot Marine and leave. She's like, no, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. And so he's like, well, if you're going to send me out in the field, give me a bunch of money and Either I'll try to bribe the sales for other companies. And she's <laughs> like, like, bribe okay. them? Sure. Why not? And he's like, and really what in his head, he's like, give me a bunch of money I so I can leave and not come back at yeah, all. As you can give me. <laughs> or maybe pretend to switch sides and come back later, which yeah. is what really happens, I guess. But I'm sure Brown Ben was just trying not to commit. You know, he's like, I'll get loot. And maybe we can switch back or... I don't really just... blame him necessarily. 
Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? Bad. <laughs> like things aren't looking so good. It is a rough situation, <laughs> and he is in a sellsword company. It still sucks though because you think about what happens with Brown Ben and and everything ends up happening with his daughter Zalorak. You're Danny's just surrounded as she's dealing with all this with people who are also playing in it for themselves, and so how does she really get good advice and make good decisions? Hallelujah. Bears and sell me. That's why she needs more bears and sell me's. Yeah. <laughs> All of his How little, little bears and sell me's he's yeah. creating. Perhaps a dozen nights, little mini sell me's. That know. was I love so sweet. Much more we get of them in, in these books. Yeah. I can't wait to get more. The Red Lamb and the other ones whose names I don't remember right now. <laughs> <laughs> There's the, the other, I guess, the just like this chapter escalates just like Danny's troubles do throughout her arc this chapter does that on a smaller scale and it's it's kind of like as she's thinking of Eroa she doesn't realize that she's kind of done kind of set Grolio up for the same thing he talks about how he's afraid he'll never get home to see his wife again um and he doesn't <laughs> right <laughs> he's right <laughs> he later is one of the hostages who is executed uh, the one hostage is executed because you know one of Danny's hostages is trampled to death in the pit, which wasn't her fault at all. But the you know young Kai take it as you know blood for blood. So one of your hostages died. Well, we got to kill. That wasn't even a hostage actually. That guy was just a guy, <laughs> one of their leaders. So they killed one of the hostages, and that wasn't cool. Poor Grolio. R.I.P. Grolio. <laughs> I'm going to read this quote from <laughs> Barristan Selman. He's talking about the state of affairs for Danny. He says, Your freedmen are half-trained and unblooded. Your sellswords once served your foes. And once a man turns his cloak, he will not scruple to turn it again. You have two dragons who cannot be controlled, and a third may be lost to you. Beyond these walls, your only friends are the Lazarine, who have no taste for war. My walls are strong, though, she said. No stronger than when we sat outside them, and the sons of the harpy are inside the walls with us, so are the great masters, both those you did not kill, and the sons of those you did. <laughs> so So then she's like, well, so what do we do? And he's like, well, obviously we attack. Yep. <laughs> of course. <laughs> that's a good, that's of course, of course. Like, well, yeah, everything's terrible, so we attack. <laughs> yep. I mean, I don't think he's necessarily wrong. He's not. I think he's right. Yeah. It's interesting to see somebody, you know, these dragons are so much of, of her identity and so much of who she is and and her reputation is very much tied to the fact that she is the mother of dragons and to not have control over them and to have one miss only have two of them. Basically, a lot of the advice that she's getting in this chapter is to just use her dragons. And she's like, well, she doesn't feel comfortable doing it. She says she can't do it. I've just always been kind of interested in that relationship that she has with them at this point, kind of how that changes her decisions. Because if she had control over them, I think maybe she would maybe do things differently or maybe she wouldn't because she's trying to be different or better i don't know but i just think that she needs Tyrion. yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> she just doesn't know how to control them at all she's just gotten up she hasn't learned it even a little bit yet like she obviously she figures some things out later kind of by feeling it out in the pit when she just jumps on drogon's back and flies off into the dothraki sea and, I know. and living alone with him she starts to figure some things out but at this point at this point i want her to almost do that. nothing at all yeah. yeah it's like i just want her to stop worrying about all this other stuff even though it's important in the moment and just kind of like figure out what's going on with the dragons and figure out that relationship and everything else to fall into place but yeah we're not and quite there point, drogon is is like gone right He's, he hasn't he hasn't been seen for a while so I, and i guess this is one of the things that teaches us that maybe she doesn't have some sort of if there's some sort of bond it's nothing like the skin changer bond because she doesn't have a she can't feel his presence you know he was apparently he was uh, uh, came to the Daznax pit later because it was so loud and all the blood and, right. and that was what drew him. It wasn't because she was in danger. Some people think that's what it was, but she wasn't really in danger. She was just kind of hot <laughs> and uncomfortable mm -hmm. <laughs> and having a terrible time because it's gross and <laughs> it's like, why, why am I here? This right. is nasty. But anyway, that's a tangent. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a fair tangent. Yeah. It's a dragon tangent. You can't stop dragon tangents. You oh, can no. Only, you can only hope to contain them. I feel like Daenerys will be ready for her dragons when she's ready. She's still got to go out to that Dothraki Sea and bond with Drogon, like you said. She's got to trip. She's got to think about Viserys and 
learn about the things that are inside of her that make her who she is. And then her dragons will be like, where were you the whole time? (laughs) We've been waiting for you. Ready to have a raven deliver Westeros right to your door? Announcing the official Game of Thrones box, a premium subscription box for the ultimate Game of Thrones fan. Each box will come packed with 100% exclusive, fun, and functional items worth over $120 that will never be available anywhere else. The first ever Game of Thrones box theme is the Noble Houses of Westeros and will feature a special item from all your favorite houses. And we have two sneak peek items to share with you. First is Robert Baratheon's drinking horn from House Baratheon. And we've been playing with it this afternoon. The horn comes complete with a strap and a holder for the table when you're not drinking from it. But this strap on Robert's horn equips you for any feast. The next item is a mini desktop planter from House Tyrell. The planter is based off their house motto, Growing Strong, and will bring a little high garden to your office or desk. The Game of Thrones box is a quarterly subscription, so you will get a new box every season. But these boxes are produced in limited quantities and will sell out. So hurry, go to www.culturefly.com and pre-order the first box today. Game of Thrones listeners can save 10% off their first box with promo code OWNS. That's www.culturefly.com, offer code OWNS. For 10% off your first box today. So Danny needs his Zar Zalorak, and Jon Snow needs Dolores Ed. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, as we're talking about That's pretty good bonds segue. with animals, I guess you could say, even though these are mystical creatures. And I don't want to jump to the very end of the John chapter, but Melisandre and Ghost and that relationship between them and John, all of that is really very interesting. Yeah. As we see with the dragons that Daenerys doesn't quite have that same relationship that someone like John is going to have with Ghost. I think mm-hmm. it's fair to say that John's relationship with Sir Alistair Thorne is much less than his relationship with Ghost. <laughs> I gotta say, the opening of this chapter was so good. These first couple paragraphs, I just thought that they were so, I loved them so much. Alistair Thorne, I have squandered a third of my life trying to teach the rudiments of swordplay to churls, <laughs> muttonheads, and knaves. Small good that will do me in those woods. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of funny. Um, I wonder what he's really, you know, what his subconscious is actually doing here. It's kind of curious that he sends Thorne out ranging when he's not a right? ranger. He feels so bad about it, too. But uh, <laughs> it's, so Thorne thinking that this is some sort of revenge thing is it's hard for me to say Thorne's wrong. I'm not sure it's revenge so much as that, you know, Thorne tried to. Is, is is an enemy really you know maybe john john thinks of him he's like well you don't have to love your brothers you know but i don't know it's kind of odd to me because i'm not sure that john tr- trusts thorn and that's, that's part of why he's sending him away so he doesn't have to worry about him but mm-hmm. he's definitely not fully equipped for this task well he makes some comment about how and i can't remember exactly what it was how he, there's seven good men out there or something even though there's eight of them or, or something along those <laughs> lines, which I think definitely sheds a lot of light into why <laughs> why he's doing what he's doing. He wasn't sure about the last one. That's true. <laughs> the so, other uh, the other rangers seem fine with it. Oh yeah, and, um, except he, for Blackjack Bull, where I guess who spits. <laughs> he was getting kind of made fun of though. There, yeah. Thorn. That was kind of cathartic for us. Teaching him to wipe his butt with leaves yeah <laughs> uh, can you His imagine arse had been wiped by the uh castle fires way too often but it kind of arguably puts these other rangers and in, race in, rangers in danger because you know thorn isn't g- as good at like creeping around and scouting and being quiet like he could you know give away the other two that he's with he's kind of a liability so i don't know it's uh it's a very interesting uh, uh it's something it's kind of puzzling in a in a kind of turn it over your head like what is what really is john thinking because he doesn't really dwell on the decision you know you don't really get to he- see his own thoughts on it he right. just decides it'll be okay well, he does <laughs> he does consider thorn's safety he considers some of the men that are going with him and he's like yeah. these are pretty good rangers like yeah he thinks gonna... that'll make up for it yeah yeah which was curious but i wonder if he's kind of fooling himself <laughs> what, do, what do you guys believe the significance of this being at the head of this chapter was with with the nature of, we've had five chapters so far of John and Dance of Dragons, and I can say confidently that they weren't, you know, like they weren't like they weren't like this in this style. This was very, I don't know, it was kind of a moody chapter. Not only because he was standing and casting shadows on the wall, and that's one one of my 
most memorable memorable moments before shit where it really went down at the wall as far as my my first read through Dance with Dragons was. So I was excited to find it in this chapter. Like, what do you think? It's it's the the the, the message as with sending Thorn away. Is it that John is basically listening to the intuition and advice that his that there are enemies within his nest and he needs to do well to sort of send them away for his own safety or do you it's very tricky because you know he's he's doing a lot of things right but he's also kind of like daenerys he's feeling his way through a lot of things without any perspective um it's not like not like he's following on ground that's been walked before right this is the wildlings and these numbers and the others and everything is no lord commanders face this and you know, since maybe thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago, if ever. So he's having to do all kinds of new things. And um, that just kind of casts a shadow over everything. But the, like you said, this chapter has a lot of that. There's a lot of just misdirection. Mm-hmm. There's yeah, a lot of this is one of these chapters recording. that is a huge difference. It's one of the, you know, it'd be really, if you were to rank all the chapters, there's like 380 or 377 chapters between all the five books. As far as chapters that are the most different on a reread, this has got to be up there in like the top 20 or something, top 25, because you realize that, oh, that wasn't Rattleshirt. Yeah. That was Mance. Oh, that's, you know, the, the, the grit Melisandre trick, you know, has, we learn more about that in Melisandre's chapter and the, uh, the Arya, that's not really Arya. And John doesn't know that yet. That's the one thing that the one fake out that we already know about, because we know that we already know that's not Arya, but, there's a second, it's like a fake out within the fake out because Melisandre sees who she thinks is Arya, but it, who, who isn't really Arya, but isn't even fake Arya. It's Alice Karstark. Right. <laughs> you know? right. Right. So it's just fake out, fake out, fake out, fake out. And it's just, it's crazy. One of my favorite parts of this though, is that in Melisandre's chapter and in a lot of other chapters, especially Arya's, you, we learn the concept of people seeing what they want to see and what they expect to see. And that actually happens in this chapter. John, when Rattleshirt puts on armor, John's like, huh, he seems taller and thicker. And he's like, oh, it's just the armor. So right. he's, he's doing it. He's telling himself what he expects to see. But no, that's Mance Raider, dude. That's not Rattleshirt. That's why he looks different. Because right. <laughs> he's different. And I, I really wonder, like, Arya would have noticed. Arya would have not been fooled. Arya wouldn't have been just dismissed that. She would have been like, wait. Although she may have figured it out sooner than that. She may have already caught it. <laughs> <laughs> like before this moment, but John, if she John hadn't, that said Stannis burned the wrong man. Yeah, <laughs> it's so it's a hilarious. Like when you read this later, you're like, "Oh, Stannis burned the wrong man." Oh man, you don't even know what you just said, John. Yeah. <laughs> Good for a man, though, man. He can fight. Yeah, he is a bad. That's that's another really interesting thing about the chapters. Like, no wonder Mance like pummels him. United with that great sword. The, the other clans because he just defeated all their clan chiefs apparently just his, by... <laughs> his dexterity with that great sword was yeah, awesome that was really cool john charges him and he's just like nah whack. and he's like holy crap <laughs> we've been talking about combat a lot for the past few weeks because we've had a handful of great joys we went through uh some Victorian oh yeah and some uh some asha combat and we got some john snow combat even though it wasn't for his life it was in this uh sparring area with emmett and uh Everyone was uh, having a pretty good time, and John <laughs> took on three of his of his men. And uh, of course, that's when Rattleshirt, aka Mance, called Daryl and was like, "Let's see you fight someone." And he's like, "The big crow is fine, the little crow is fine. We can't take on a real man or whatever." And John's literally like, "Ah, well, you know, I could take you on. Don't get too ahead." Yeah, of it's interesting to see John lose in this situation because John is like this great fighter, and to have him get so badly beaten in this chapter and then also as we're talking about the uh, extra layer to the fact that it's actually Mance and we kind of understand why he would want to be hurting him so badly Yeah, like you that. really see him <laughs> kind of struggle in a way that we don't often get to see him especially when he's just kind of messing around it's interesting to read his dialogue as he's in the middle of this fight because he's just kind of waiting around yeah. for him to get tired and he's like why isn't this happening it's and why isn't working. this getting easier <laughs> yeah my usual <laughs> tactics aren't aren't going the way that they are and then you know it ends with this basically hand-to-hand combat yeah. here and it's just it's interesting to kind of see him struggle that much in something that he te- typically has such prowess in yeah it's neat to see um i, I like his reaction too because he hand he takes it in stride pretty well you know he's 
He's like, well fought. And man says, don't flatter yourself. Yeah. He's like, I didn't even break a sweat. He's like, well, next time you will. <laughs> he just mm-hmm. doesn't like, I get petulant or like feel like, you know, that's a good bad thing. about losing or anything like that. He just, yeah. he thinks, and he thinks to, in his mind, he thinks, well, there's always somebody better and smarter than yeah. you. And you know, that's why he was fighting three on one. And yeah, yeah, I like uh, that. So that's thing. a repeated concept. He had a couple of moments in this chapter while he's thinking about Sir Roderick and fighting with Rob and kind of the simpler days at Winterfell. And as you were mentioning, Aziz, at the end of this little spar, he's, he thinks to himself, there's always someone quicker and stronger. Sir Roderick had once told John and Rob, he's the man you want to face in the yard before you need to face his like upon the battlefield. Um, so yeah. I thought it was kind of like these. I'm always a sucker for a sweet Winterfell callback. So we get a lot of them in this chapter. Warmer days. <laughs> I can feel Warm it. In so many ways. And how about John calling out that this would have been a different fight if he would have had long clothes? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was his only bit of petulance there. Well, if I had my bat, incredibly badass sword that no one can match, then it would be different. Well, yeah, of course it At would At least be. it's honest, though. You <laughs> it's know true. I mean? He's right. That's his one saving grace. He's like, well, it would be... That is kind of nice. He's sort of like training with, like... It's like running with ankle weights, you mm-hmm. know, because Longclaw not only is so much sharper, but it's lighter. It's so light. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's just training with his heavy sword, so it'll just be like putting on, you know, when you... I, you know, it feels like forever ago because it was, but when I, I ran track in high school and cats, cat, <laughs> I ran track in high school and we would wear, you know, regular shoes for, for training. But then when you actually have a race, you would wear these extremely light shoes that you would never train in because they're too light. If you, if you wear them all the time, your, you know, your feet would <laughs> be destroyed. But for just one day, they're great and they're incredibly light. And it's, it's probably like that. That was really longer explanation than i needed but this i think this is perfect a script running and I wait mean, a second it's a valid point john was using a, a kind of a heavier he know he he recognized at the beginning of the the bout um with the three crows that he uh was like this is heavier this long sword's heavier than the thing that i'm used to yeah. i just couldn't get over mance raider's skill with the blade and john's battle text like i was saying earlier compared to the people we've read Recently, I know he wasn't like fighting for his life, but he just had a very sort of, uh, I don't want to say naive, but it's just, it's reading his chapter next to Danny's. I just, I understand a lot how they're so similar in character to each other, Um, especially with a situation like this, especially when Don's situation is way less dire, it seems, than Danny's. But yeah, they both kind of have a pale mare, at least like on the way. John's is just more confusing, you know? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he's uh, he's got all these like things happening. I was like, wait, why is Mance beating me, or why is Rattleshirt taller, and now uh-huh. why is he beating me? And then it's like, why is Ghost going over to Melisandre, and mm-hmm. why did she look like a grit? How did I make that mistake? He says to himself, how could I have possibly seen that? Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's all these like all these little things, and then he sees the little details of seeing who you know a couple of black brothers are worshiping with melisandre now and yeah. a couple of wildlings and she says the group is kind of small but that's because so many of them are off with stannis anyway but there's still it's just what matters is the types of different people that are there and then you know she tries to get him to speaking of warmth right she tries to talk about there is life in joining or whatever she said oh, yeah. yeah john was writing in a lift in this chapter but dollar said and and that line from Melisandre was like her version of uh the line they gave her in the show oh yeah 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 yeah. sort of except less direct yeah less direct but you wonder like well, who does she have in mind at that point you know or the other one she slept with davos to make shadows baby and with she davos slept with I'm sorry, not oh Dan. my gosh! <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> to make two stats, I was like, like did I miss what did I miss? Something? <laughs> yeah, I forget something very important. <laughs> it obviously not only you know, aside from the fact that it apparently made Stannis older, um, or at least sapped some of his life force. They, there was always like a target in mind, right? There was right. the the two particular targets, Renly and uh, Sir Courtney Penrose. I wonder who she was thinking about this time, or maybe she was just thinking ahead, like, well, we're going to need just some in of case, these later. yeah. <laughs> Just in case. I guess we'll have to. Let me to. seduce this guy for, let me seduce him for later. Oh, jeez. <laughs> that's dark. But, uh, and of course, that's, de- I mean, and that's clearly what's happening, right? Like, why else would she 
try to look like a grit for him. I know. Yeah. <laughs> right. So that's before. her decision, right? That's not. She's not opening up the glamour so he I can. Think so. Yeah. I mean, he. She even says, you know, you know nothing. Like she even uses his line, right. which was like, whoa. <laughs> and when they did that on the show, it was chilling, and it was. you know, it wasn't like that wasn't the first time because we had this chapter, right? Um. So this is when she first. And I was like, whoa, what a way to end the chapter. Like, damn. That's that's like a non cliffhanger cliffhanger. It's like a mystery. Like, how did she do that? Not like, oh, what's going to happen next? Because, you know, they don't have to deal with that right away. It's not like an action moment, but it's just the mystery deepens, mm-hmm. the plot thickens. <laughs> yeah, and that's my big question. Just throughout all of this, is kind of what her motivation for everything she's doing in this chapter is. Whether it's her and the grit glamour thing, or with Ghost, what's happening there, and and kind of. The motivation behind that. Why does she care so much about saving fake Arya? I mean, she knows you yeah. know, Arya, or regardless, why why does that matter to her so much? It's interesting. Yeah, it's kind of like she she shows an, an, uh, in her own chapter. She shows an interesting amount of concern for da- for Davos's other son. Does she know it's fake Arya though? No, she doesn't. At this point, you know? right? She doesn't. Well, she's it's not even fake well, Arya. It's <laughs> Alice Karstark. Yeah, she's like right. double wrong. There's like um, eight thousand layers. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know that's Melisandre for you. But uh, but she but then she's specifically right with the Igret stuff, and she's right about the that that three of those black brothers are going to have their you know come are going to die and have their eyes carved out. So God, that was a weird ending, <clears throat> mixture of right and wrong, which is kind of neat. And that's that concept is given to us in a different way, right? She says, uh, John says that. Val is it Val that tells her or sorcery? Dalla. Val tells yeah. her that sword is uh, sorcery is like a sword without a hilt. And Melisandre's like, yeah, but a sword is still useful when you've got enemies around. You know, maybe it has some unintended consequences, but it's if you're in a fight, it's better than nothing. Yeah. And that concept comes up. It's like, yeah, well, maybe it is better than nothing. But you can see how it's both giving you information that's helpful and misleading you. Right? So she he's mm-hmm. right about the the Black Brothers dying, but she's wrong about Arya. <laughs> and right. uh but she's right about she's just nails the agret stuff too so it's like but she's also trying to get john to breed with her and have shadow babies like i don't think that's a good thing so she's very much it's that's funny so because weird. she's so she's such a gray character but she sees things in black and white more than just about anyone you know she's the one that says back in clash of kings or storm of swords i forget which one that i guess it's storm of swords that a half rotten onion is a rotten onion. She doesn't see like Davos is like, well, cut the rotten part off and you got half an onion. And that mouse like, nah, that's a bad onion. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's, uh, it's all kind of cool how she act. She doesn't act like she, you know, like she talks in that way, you know, <laughs> or she isn't. Yeah. And she, that's... she exemplifies the opposite of the way she behaves, I guess is a better way to put it. Yeah. That's what I was thinking too. And to see, to see that from John's perspective, and also just kind of mixing in this Melisandre chapter that we're going to get later to see who she is through John's perspective in this chapter is really interesting because he's really buying into a lot of it in a lot of the in some ways like he really can feel and sense her power that he that she has and so to see that happening as we know that she like her visions are what they are and you know some of them are true and some of them aren't and she's kind of dealing with that and and trying to control and understand all these kinds of things it's interesting to have that projected on john who i feel like is totally buying into the fact that she's wielding some real power and i think that she probably is wielding some real power in this instance and so i really liked seeing that from his perspective yeah we, it's, it's clearer to us than it is to him but he still sees some of it like he you know kind of fools himself with the Mance Rattleshirt thing. And then he doesn't truly grasp why he sees a grid. He's like, he's just confused. He's like, he doesn't chalk it up to magic. He's like, gosh, how could I have possibly seen yeah. that? He doesn't think, oh, magic, you know, which whereas any reader is like, oh, magic. You know, that's yeah. Melisandre doing her thing somehow. And then with the ghost thing too, he's just like, boy, that's weird. When ghosts look. Hey, stop that, Casanova. Do you have anything you can throw at him? Like uh... Soccer or something? <laughs> yeah, let me see. Oh, here's a, get over away from there. When Ghost looked back at John without any recognition in his eyes, that was kind of a dark moment. That was like what? Yeah. yeah. So John is like, there's there's all these little things hitting him. Like, hey man, you got to realize what's going on. He keeps trying to, he keeps dismissing it as non magical, but there's all these little hints. It's like something. This is beyond, you know. Melisandre's talking about how the wall is powerful and how 
he's casting this big shadow and all that and yeah he's starting to get the picture but the, the most the thing the thing he most can't ignore i guess besides because the, the ghost thing is pretty pretty insane you know he's like how is this possible but just her walking around in the cold not you know not wearing yeah. gloves or anything she's just like nah not a problem <laughs> that don't was worry my about favorite it. part and, <laughs> and she was like my heart is fine or something about her our heart keeps her warm um and he said your heart doesn't concern me just your hands like i just <laughs> i thought that was really funny so maybe john's just learning a lot of lessons in this chapter yeah and in kind of a compartmentalized way where there's just uh from sparring to getting that figurative lesson standing in front of the wall with a 20-foot shadow being kissed by the moonlight <laughs> with how with how ghost is turning with how ghost is interacting with melisandre and how melisandre was able to fool both him and ghost with her uh approach it you know what i mean like uh yeah. i i like what you're saying he's figuring out that there's something to all this and i guess maybe it's like toes and different different depths of toes in the water and, <laughs> and those sort of strange parts of it that are happening specifically with Malisandre and the magic and of course with the lord of bones the entire time they were fighting I mean, he was a manserator that whole time and it's funny because with that like and that's who she wants to use her the last line of the chapter is you know let me help save your sister you yeah know, before she says you know nothing or whatever but she wants to you know, and that's part of what you're asking about beforehand. Like, why? Why does she? Why is right. this part of you know? And right. I, I'm not, despite the fact that we have evidence of her caring for Davos's son for no apparent reason either. You know, maybe it's just compassion. Maybe she cares about. Maybe she knows that these people are allies to Stannis, and they're if they lose their loved ones, they're not going to be as effective as allies. Maybe it's just something pragmatic like that. But it could also be. You know, she's trying to push John towards taking Stannis's offer of Winterfell, which, you know, at this point, I don't think he's made that decision yet. And maybe maybe he has. I don't I don't I think he has. And so if she's encouraging him to make a decision that he wouldn't he shouldn't make earlier, he decides to do nothing because it's not. It breaks his vows. Melisandre's convinced, kind of trying to convince him to break his vows. Yeah, but in a way that's like the best way. That if you're going to get him to break his vows, this is the way to do it. Oh, you know, for bring sure. Up his sister and be like, "Well, this is your sister here, dog." Because he's still <laughs> very much sister. like puts so much value on those relationships, and it's so funny to hear him talk about his vows outwardly, and then have these inward dialogues with himself about Arya and Needle and and all of this kind of stuff. He very much seeing him struggle with that is interesting. Yeah. I wonder, and of course, we, as we know, he does it. He does end up deciding to send Rattlemance, Rattlemance, <laughs> <like that. laughs> unbeknownst to himself, uh, you know, and that whole thing is, that's a whole nother topic. Like if Melisandre has something else in mind here, it's hard to perceive. <laughs> right. It's not like she gives us any real clues to it in her own chapter. There's only one chapter, so there's only so much she can cover. Right. You know, she's a ancient being that we never really figured we'd get a pov from so george had to choose what to show us pretty carefully there and it and he didn't reveal anything like you know ulterior motives or anything it was one of those things that was kind of surprising like a bunch of people are like how she knows that's not lightbringer like how she's messing with people right but in her mind she's just there's none of that there's none of this like haha my plan is working you know right <laughs> i fooled them all like nothing she's just totally devoted to what she says she is. She's just very flawed about it. You know, she's, but she's totally um, sincere. Should we just talk about the Melisandre chapter? <laughs> I feel like so much, as you've been talking, I mean, so much about this, this John chapter is very much like the beginning steps towards these major reveals that are coming towards. I mean, I guess we're not really. Uh, that's a good point. Are we know, halfway it, through Dance of Dragons yet? I'm looking at my book yeah, here. Well, at least not on quite. the Dance of Dragons website, we're. <laughs> We're halfway through the combined reading, right? Order. But not dance. I think this is specifically. I, I think but... it's just dance. I think it's just before the halfway. Yeah, because I, I looked at the or I looked at the order on my ebook doesn't have the chapters properly named, so I went on Tower of the Hand to to look at their chapter listing, and uh, so I could see what order they were in. That way, I could figure out. I was like, oh, it's the one that's got a Davos chapter in between. Yeah, yeah. And so it wasn't like it's and the chapters were listed in several columns, and it was like three. I think it was three columns, maybe it was five, but it wasn't all the way. Yeah, it definitely was only. Not quite halfway, I think. So just just around, yeah, I'm almost halfway. Holding my and I think book Mel in front of me. Just past halfway, her one chapter. She's just past this John chapter. Yeah, oh, she's coming right up. After the Danny yeah, chapter. she's right after oh, really? the Danny chapter. Oh, okay. So yeah, okay, cool. I'd have to look at our at our reading order. 
but I know it's got to be coming up soon. So I'd say that's a good a good theory there that George was partially using this chapter to set up the Melisandre chapter because she's in half of this chapter basically. Yeah. It's this you know he starts off talking about talking to Thorn, then he talks to Dollar's Head for like a second, and then he spars. And the sparring is even part of setting up the Melisandre thing because he spars with Rattlemance. Right. And then he gets the message about Arya and then he sees Melisandre the Nightfires and spends the rest of the chapter talking to her. It's a very short chapter. So, so. yeah, you're right. It really it's, is. It isn't, it's one of the shorter ones, I would think. We have a pair of, we have Davos and Jamie, and then we have Bran and Cersei and then we have Melisandre. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. So that's, uh. And is it is that was I right about it being about halfway or yeah it's about yeah. like page four hundred ish of like nine hundred in my copy so. okay cool yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So just before half you All still right. got it <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about owns for the Daenerys chapter ooh owned it brown Ben for just <laughs> being a consummate <laughs> sellsword like oh, keeping yeah. his eye on the cash Always about cash oh, or dragons keeping his eye on the cash yeah. <laughs> he's like I like how he throws in like or gems precious yeah. You just, know what I mean? Just Not only money, got. just some gems and rubies <laughs> mm-hmm. as well, if, if we can. <laughs> I'm going to give my own to Dario, I think, in this chapter for just being <laughs> in Daenerys's every thought. I just think it's interesting <laughs> how it's like she's dealing with all these big decisions and trying to make these choices. And every other paragraph, it seems like, even though it's only like a two paragraphs in this chapter she's like ah oh, but if only i was with dario <laughs> she hears that a, her captain has returned she's like dario yeah no you know you have more than one captain <laughs> so, <laughs> to dario. like sorry it's just brown just brown then <laughs> only brown then zach what's it gonna be for you i have to give my own two i think i've done this before too just the Skahas for rolling in with his brazen beast <laughs> in the likeness of a hawk and a jackal. I can't get over the brazen beast and about how he, about like what he's gaining from Daenerys being in power, you know? Yeah. Like it's, it, when, you, when you think about the kind of people who are betrayers and like who to be afraid of, perfume Seneschal or not, um, I think about the people that are really, uh, really benefiting from her being in power at Marine. I'm like, he is just rolling right now <laughs> with his brazen beasts and uh, his hate for his dar. Mean mugging everyone. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> and the stuff with Quentin and the brazen beast later. Oh my God. I'm so excited to read all of it. John. Um, I'll just, I gotta just go with Melisandre here for the many fake outs for just totally bamboozling John in multiple ways and the reader at the same time with her just expanding on this, the, you know, magic in the world, you know, dance of dragons is a book where magic really grows a lot more where what we know about magic in the world grows, whether it's in the brand chapters or whether it's in Melisandre chapter, this is a chapter that shows, introduces a lot of these concepts and sets the playing field for a lot of them. So yeah, own to Melisandre for being a, crazy magical person with uh who's uh thrown everything off and is the center of so many discussions about how the mysteries work in this world and who's really good with dire wolves <laughs> you know and who wants to get with john snow <laughs> well, that's a- to take her own advice about not knowing anything well you need to be a little more humble girl <laughs> <laughs> that's a really good own. you're gonna give yours you should give yours because do you want to give yours i'm kind of afraid that you're gonna take mine well, we'll see. Maybe not. There's a lot of things. I'm going to give my own to Needle. And for this paragraph that John thinks about Arya, because it's too dang sweet, mm. I want to read part of it. He goes, dark dreams he thought and guilt. His thoughts kept returning to Arya. There's no way I can help her. I put all kin aside when I said my words. If one of my men told me his sister was in peril, I would tell him that there was no that was no concern of his. Blah, 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 blah. And then he thinks needle. He wondered if she still had it. Stick him with the pointy end, he told her. But if she tried to stick the bastard, it could mean her life. So own to needle and sticking it with the pointy end and to John and Arya's relationship that makes me melt into a puddle. Guessing that was not your pick, Zach. 
No. <laughs> I knew it was going to be That's fine. That's a good choice. That's cool. I didn't see that coming. Can you imagine if we picked that same one? Right in our, yeah, I would have been like, what, you both picked Neil? <laughs> I picked the dollar set own. I thought that are, you might have picked it. You guys, you guys are meant for each other in podcasting. Too. Right. You guys both picked Needle? The same <laughs> that was obscure Needle own. And the same reason why. Now, um, uh, this was uh, when John and Ed were riding in the elevator, which is a nice respite. It's just fun when you do that. Um, just fun riding in elevators? Yeah. So it's just owned to the elevator or to Dollar Set? Well, to the lift. For them having a lift at the wall, I think, that deserves <laughs> kind of a shout-out every time it happens. I mean, it's necessary. It's a pretty big place. It's but uh, a medieval elevator that goes 700 feet. Why would I get yeah, my own to exactly. that? <laughs> yeah, it is consistent. Um, this is Ed telling John, one of his friends, who's now Lord Commander, um, about a dream that he had. I had a frightening dream last night, my lord. Dollars had confessed, George says. <laughs> <laughs> you were my steward, fetching my food and cleaning up my leavings. I was Lord Commander with never a moment's peace. It's, it says, John did not smile. Your nightmare, my life. <laughs> <laughs> I did really like that moment. That's a good own. That might be foreshadowing. Yeah, right. Because right? we know that he becomes Lord Commander in the show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I know. It, that would be really, it's really fun foreshadowing the way he says it. Yeah. Because, like, we have Melisandre in this chapter talking about, ooh, stuff. But we also have Dollar said saying this. And we also have John being like, your nightmare, my life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? I don't see the uh, John being his steward part coming true. Uh, no. <laughs> but uh, Dollar said being Lord Commander for a little while. It'd be hey. quite the fall from grace. I do like Dollar said, but that would be. <laughs> um, also, kind of a shout out to uh, Alistair Thorne for being like, you better hope that uh, I'm killed by the right people when I'm out there because I'm coming back <laughs> oh, to this yeah. wall. That happened. was also that good. That was something. I like that. Yeah, he throws up the line about that they remember. You know, it's yeah. like a kind of a, like a little reminder, like that those other two uh, dead black brothers did kind of attack specific people. They went after the first <laughs> ranger and the Lord Commander. Those were, uh, those were like very specific targets. It's like I'm coming back to you no matter what. <laughs> That's our owns. I think maybe we should read some owns from the folks at home. I'll start off first with Facebook. We have Jeff Lightfoot who writes, John owned Dolores Ed's Nightmare. Zach, that he was Lord Commander. <laughs> it was funny reading it the first time, even funnier knowing it comes true. Daenerys owned to Sir Barristan's orphan knights in training. Would have loved to have seen the prideful smile he had to have on, on his face training them adopted in the show. I can't read. We get the gist. <laughs> <laughs> Sir Barristan's orphan knights. Good own. Our next own is from Rune on Twitter. Owned to Brown Ben for getting bulk provisions, fresh horses, and a few bags of golden gems. That's my dog well right played. there. Owned to George for the words <laughs> and to Owen Teal's performance for sticking with me even outside of the TV show. Making Sir Alistair's iconic lines all the more memorable. The next one is from Owl IRL, which is a fantastic screen name. My own goes to Longclaw for descending. <laughs> <laughs> okay, short, sweet, and to the point. Next, we have at Heathen King, who says, Own for Danny to the dragons. All of her advisors are like, hey, don't we have dragons? Let's use them. And she's like, I don't know what to do, dot, dot, dot. And for John, memories own Jon Snow. All of his memories are poison. Ned, Arya, Egret, so much feast slash dance is remembering what we've lost. Sad emoji. Brienne of Tarth at Beauty Brienne writes in, John and Danny both get the own for being able to do what they need to as opposed to what they want to. John for looking to Melisandre for help, and Danny for realizing she has to work with his dar. <laughs> and that's our last one. All Take right. it away, Aaron. Oh, it's Queen of Love and Booty. Cool. Okay. <laughs> I'll read that one. The last one is from Queen of Love and Booty. That's at Lies and Arbor, of course, our friend Chloe. Owned to the Rattleshirt John fight because it got steamy and it rose the Lord of Bones. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> First, we had Longclaw descending, and now we have. Lord okay. Bones of Rice. <laughs> well, thank you, you see what I did there. <laughs> to everyone for writing in. We see what she did uh, there. Your owns to our podcast. We appreciate it. We appreciate it. And you can send us your owns in a bunch of different ways. As always, you can find us on Twitter at Game of Owns or search for us on Facebook at Game of Owns. Or if you want, you can send us an email to contact at gameofowns.com. If you're not listening to our series, We Watch the Throne on Stitcher, it's time to jump aboard because we're in season six we've just passed the episode or no we're, in season six <laughs> we're in i feel sick we're in season three <laughs> and you we jumped twice ahead we just uh we just finished with the climb 
Oh, jeez. And John and Grit were kissing slow motion on top of the wall. Yeah. It's all very magical. Littlefinger was talking about chaos being a ladder. <laughs> and he was doing the voiceover. Did you realize that he had a voiceover uh, montage back in season three? Kind of like uh, Tyrion and Cassian. I had Rock. forgotten, but yeah. I remember now that you mentioned it. I had totally it. forgotten about it, too. Yeah, it's been useful. That was great. That, one, that episode is kind of funny to me because it's, you know, one of those things that there's, there's a million, you know, just kind of unrealistic things that happen, but I'm just climbing the wall. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Orel being mad about everything, like yeah, John like and the Grit the whole time. Yeah, like in the book when they climb the wall, like the... One of the teams dies, and the other, the other, like get this big head start by climbing a tree and doing all this other stuff. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. The, I think the <laughs> so tree actually, yeah. head start might have been the way to go. Yeah, like they cut like two hundred feet out of seven hundred feet off by yeah. doing that. Like, yeah, that's a huge difference. So. so we talk about this kind of stuff on Rewatch the Throne on Stitcher Premium. You can check out that show at rewatchthethrone dot com. And it's Sounds really fun. fun. Yeah. It is a lot of fun. It's a lot, dude. It's so fun to go back and while mm-hmm. we're recording with these chapters. Because it turns out some of it ends up lining up with the chapters that we're reading. Not That's always, cool. but we get a lot of really cool, cool insights. Started to do a full rewatch prior to season seven, but we didn't actually get that far. We only got into season two. And if you want to follow along with us on our reading order here on Game of Bones, you can find that entire thing at afeastwithdragons.com. And you can check out where we've been, where we're going. Coming up next time, we've got Davos 4. And Jamie Four. Four four. Get ready. Get excited. And check out a feastofdragons.com to follow along with us there. Davos and Jamie, that's gonna be a fun pairing. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for coming on this episode. It's You're so welcome. fun recording in person. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It's it is so much more fun recording it really in person. Is. I feel like don't rub it off in. the rails probably three or four. <laughs> Sorry, Hannah. Let's rub it in. <laughs> As we've had you on with us before with the rest of your history of Westeros squad, but we haven't had just you on before, so that's been really fun. Yeah, this was fun. Yeah, like, and I really like doing chapter readings because, you know, on my show we we try to do big topics and zooming in on single, like doing a zoom and enhance on single chapters is another different way to look at it that I'm not that I don't do nearly as much, despite all the different ways we've looked at the series on my show. This is uh, only we've only done a few chapter reviews, and so I really like doing it because you get to look at. Uh, the kind of things that you wouldn't normally look at things that don't fit into some grand pattern, you know, so mm-hmm. you're looking at things that, uh, fit into a chapter and you got to think about how George, like why George did certain things this way. So it's, yeah, it's really fun. I like it a lot. So thanks for having me on. Of course. We should tell Loved everyone. It. Yeah. We we're, share those links. We're at history of We're history of Westeros on iTunes. We are Westeros history on YouTube and we're also on SoundCloud and facebook and twitter under those same names and yeah we'd love to uh hear from anybody who wants to uh join in the fun on our side of the ponds (laughs) (laughs) our side of the shared westerosi pond um (laughs) hope to see you there what was the last big uh character episode you guys did was the blackfish right well last big character episode we did was blackfish but we've also our most recent episode a scripted episode was the crypts of winterfell that was fun we did uh we looked at the the statues and the theories and the history and it's a great topic because you get to our specialty is history and there's a lot of history in there with all those ancient kings and stuff like that but also it's super relevant to the future of the series and it's one of the first things we're introduced to like the beginning It's, it's like ned's first chapter Robert and Ned go down there, like, fourth paragraph, mm-hmm. you know? Right. <laughs> it's like, I'm not even so exaggerating. She's like, you know, like, I think boom. we can take a break. We've been on the road for yeah. all these They say one line to each other, like, hey, hey, what's up? I want to go to the crypt. All right. <laughs> yeah. You know? And so she's like, exactly well, hold on. What it is. And, they're, and then they just ignore her and go to the crypts. <laughs> so that's it. And thanks, Genesis, for hanging out with us and for chatting with us. And thanks, everybody who's listening for doing the same and we'll be back soon with davos and jamie thanks bye everyone bye bye